You're listening to Campus Review Radio. This is Carl Treacher, and I'm joined by Martin Betts. We're the founders of HEDEX, and our podcast explores the changing landscape of the higher education sector in association with Campus Review. Welcome to the Higher Education Experience. In this episode, Martin catches up with the new Vice-Chancellor of Federation University, Duncan Bentley, and we explore what's coming down the pipes for 2021. G'day, Martin. G'day, Carl. It's um, great to be in the second episode of, of HEDEX for 2021. It was um, lovely to talk to John Germoff last week. And yes, in this week's um, interview with, with Duncan Bentley, some, some recurring issues together with some new ones of the particular place of regional universities and the purpose that they serve with their local communities. I'm looking forward to us all hearing from him and, and having a conversation about it. And, and, and I think Duncan's relatively new to that role, is that right? Yeah, he started um, again in Victoria in the middle of lockdown in August of, of 2020. What a time to be starting in a university. Took him a, took him a while before he was face-to-face with all of his staff. Um, appointed, probably knew he was getting appointed into the role before COVID was fully um, impacting upon all of the university system, but then had to, to get a university up and running and his leadership of it commenced in the most trying of circumstances. I'll be, I'll be fascinated to know uh, a little bit more about that. I, I came out of Victoria and was pretty comfortable with the university landscape in the 80s and early 90s, but since then haven't had much to do with it. Certainly been busy with the banks uh, across regional areas and their responsibility to community. So I'm sure there's some parallels there because the the thinking and the feeling towards those uh, major entities, be it a service or education body, there are some parallels. There's some parallels, and, and I mean, the thing that they all have in common, of course, is the need to care for people, which um, has been a major part of all of their strategies and has been particularly to the fore in the last 12 months, of course. And you've been doing some, some talking and thinking about some of the mental health issues and care in workplaces in the last week or so as well. Is that right? I was asked to do a keynote for the uh, Inspiring Workplaces Global Conference, which was a 24-hour rolling kickoff of, um, of sort of keynote or thought leadership. I found it I was really um, wrapped to have to have a spot speaking on that, but mostly because some of the the insights that I was picking up on around workplaces were um, really alarming. You know, they they were things that I think I really wanted to share with everyone that will listen uh, about the responsibility that every organisation has for the mental well-being of their staff and the in this instance their um, their students also. Some of the statistics around uh, workplace suicide, um, the implications and pressures that come from workplace stress that lead to um, detrimental mental health leading to suicide, it's really on the rise. You know, initially there's conversations that the corporate world are having around, oh, look, you know, work from home has been great for everyone. And one of the big lessons that came out of the, the you know, the aggregated study of the meta-analysis that we did was that's not the case. The big lesson here is the diversity in workplace has gone from one workplace that might have a few subcultures to millions of workplaces because every individual is working from home. And that is essentially then their workplace. And they have different stresses. You may have one person living in a family home that has six bedrooms and a tennis court, or you might have one person living in a shared home with five people all trying to find a quiet space to have a conversation and get their job done. So uh, I think it's, it is a time for listening. It's a time for tapping into what's happening for individuals. So with that being the case, the pressures on leadership 
You know, you, you might have been leading a team of 10 or 100 people at one stage and they had a similar type of environment to, to reside within. Now they're in their homes all having very markedly different experiences, some of them that put them in great uh, danger or risk of having significant mental health issues. I think these are very real issues. They're, 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 they're shared by universities for their staff, of course, and given that many of our large Australian universities might have anything like 5,000 staff, the fact that they've got 50,000 students who... It, the, the issue of the, the mental well-being um, and the care of students has been an issue for universities for years, but uh, they, they became a completely different magnitude last year as well. So I, I think you're right on the money there. There's some some issues about how we engage with our staff and our students and show care for them in their gradual return to campuses and to workplaces that are going to be a big preoccupation with university leaders. In, indeed, that was what was one of the issues we touched upon with Duncan. Maybe we should give, um, give him a listen and see what he had to say. Our guest today on HeadX is Professor Duncan Bentley, who took over as Vice-Chancellor of Federation University here in regional Victoria in August of 2020, after almost five years at Swinburne as the Deputy Vice-Chancellor Academic, and before that, the Deputy Vice-Chancellor Engagement at Victoria University. Duncan, welcome to HeadX. Thanks uh, very much, Martin. Really appreciate uh, the opportunity to talk to you. It's lovely to be able to talk to, to people new into their term as Vice-Chancellor. We, we had Pascal Cuesta, one of your colleagues who joined us on an earlier HeadX episode, who also, like you, commenced as a Vice-Chancellor at a university in lockdown in what I think has been widely seen as the most challenging financial circumstances of a generation. You, you, you couldn't ask for a, a harder gig and a harder start to, to um, your term as a Vice-Chancellor. What's been your focus in, in your case, your first six months or so in the role? So, so I joined at the end of August, so uh, the first 90 days, which uh, you would always look at taking me up to the end of uh, 2020. The, the first thing one wants to do is always to be able to get to know the people, get to know as much as you can about the organization. Fabulous thing about a virtual environment is you can have uh, multiple meetings during each day, jumping from one to the other, make sure that you put in enough time for a quick bite to eat somewhere along the way. And uh, so I was able to meet both internally and externally pretty much all the key people across my communities. And that was just an amazing uh, uh, fillet for me because it, the other element, which is absolutely critical for a new vice chancellor is to say, coming out of COVID with the relentless innovation and reinvention, uh, which is facing us, what is our refresh strategy to enable us to power our way out of uh, a period which uh, many of us would rather forget? And so that's what we've been doing, uh, focusing very much on the um, strategy where we want to go for uh, for the next five years. So I'd love to know more about the, the strategy that you're developing and where that's up to. And I imagine that it's probably been better for you to have become a new VC in August 2020 than, than to have started and developed a strategy in 2019 that you then had to revisit as this year came into being. I mean, wh wh where are you now up to and what is the timeline and process that you're following for developing that strategy in the months ahead? Well, give us a picture of what it's looking like at the moment. So um, I was able to announce um, following the council's approval, the new strategy just before Christmas. 
and uh, we went through a turbocharged period of consultation, both internally and externally. My predecessor, Helen Bartlett, had done a magnificent job in gaining a whole lot of information from multiple stakeholders uh, across all our regional areas as part of the COVID period, just to know what it is that we needed to uh, do um, for them in order to be able to engage in a deep way uh, coming out of COVID. So that was most useful because of the ability to connect internally. I was able to uh, connect, as I said, right across the university and the submissions and engagement from teams was quite exceptional. So we had uh, well over 1,100 or so submissions when you take teams and uh, uh, individuals into account. And uh, that, that uh, in a small university means that you're really getting a deep understanding of what people want and where they're heading. The beautiful thing about a strategy where people are pretty much aware of the external environment. It's been rammed down our throats for the last uh, 12 months or so, but the useful thing in particular is the focus on regions and just the ability of people to connect with the fact that as regional universities, we are going to be central to the agenda moving forward. Partnership with our stakeholders is going to be fundamental and we've got to reflect the tremendous ethos of regional universities who are working on engaging with low participation, low engagement with tertiary education and ensure that we are a provider of lifelong learning to our communities. Sounds like um, you've had a really op great opportunity in your first 90 days. A real good look under the hood of the culture of, of Federation University. And th th there's that lovely saying, isn't there, that culture eats strategy for, for breakfast. I wonder how you believe that the culture of, of Federation University has either been impacted by, or, or actually perhaps putting it the other way around, how do you cope with the challenges of 2020? It is extraordinary, isn't it, right across the board, how organisations had to move incredibly swiftly to a form of online delivery, COVID online, we're working from home. Some people are suffering immense uh, hardship in, in, in going through that. Others uh, are absolutely thriving and a lot in the middle um, managed but couldn't wait for it to end. Um, and I think that uh, what, one of the great things about the community and a regional community is people know each other. People have been connecting for a long time. And that's something that I found uh, infusing, energizing, uh, and it has helped us with the development of the new strategy is that ability to be able to care for each other, have that deep empathy and care for the students, whether they're international or domestic students and really make the students a key part of what we do. We are most fortunate in that um, we are one of the universities with the most number of five-star ratings right across the Good Universities Guide. And a lot of that is around the care for students. A lot of that is driven by the care of the staff for students, uh, whether that's academics or professional staff. And so the culture here is critically important because where, what we focus on is absolutely transforming lives and enhancing our communities because that's who we're there for. We're a regional university and that's who we are uh, required to serve 
under our act of parliament and so the culture in doing that is absolutely fundamental so coming coming back to the strategy that you're pursuing then that your council's um, approved for you what what place does the building of that culture that you've you've learned about and inherited at federation university what what part does building that culture even further play in, in, in implementing a strategy that you think is going to succeed for Federation University. Is that key? It's the, it's the basic plank of any university is ensuring that we've got a strong culture, a strong focus on people. And just to give you an example, one of the things which one can perhaps do slightly more easily in a large city like Melbourne or Sydney or Perth or, or Brisbane, where you've got a lot of universities and you are able to go through major restructures knowing that there are another six or seven universities plus many other organizations which will all be hiring people in education and training because it's one of the big growth areas for jobs going forward. For a regional university, we've got to be really, really careful in the way that we undertake those sorts of activities. And so one can go through voluntary redundancy process more easily than an involuntary and at scale I think that that in a regional university in particular is detrimental because it takes a couple of years before people will then trust the environment and feel that they're willing to put 150 percent in driving growth and I think there are sufficient opportunities in regional universities that we can focus on that growth and those opportunities look after our people, engage our people and get them absolutely on board in order to be able to drive where we're going. And I found that with the strategy, people have come on board, they've been highly supportive. And I think we'll be able to do some very interesting and innovative things in the uh, coming years. So um, you've, you've mentioned several times the particular role that's, that's um, inherited with you with your act of parliament but is also at the heart of the sort of university federation university is of its relationship with its regions and its partnership with communities has that has that become even more important in the events of 2020 to the extent that the purpose of universities generally and maybe the purpose of federation university has become redefined through 2020's events i don't think it's become redefined for us it's just been headlined and so we were able to celebrate the Engagement Australia Awards at the end of 2020, the Student Engagement Award for our partnership with IBM. This, um, we're at the end of last year, we had a celebration um, with the Managing Director Australia New Zealand for, for IBM, where we launched a major impact report on what the 25 years of collaboration in one of the largest technology parks in the country and the largest university technology park in the country was making to Ballarat, to the region and to Australia. And if you look at the total impact, it's about 5% of the total employment of the Ballarat area. And the total impact in Victoria is over, is it, well, nearly four and a half thousand jobs, 380 million in household income, and about 630 million in industry value added. That's a substantial amount. So it's celebrating those sorts of headline partnerships where we don't just 
talk about work integrated learning on our campuses. Our partners are in and on our campuses. And that's one of the big, bold ideas, which I think will really come to the fore over the next few years as we have that seamless integration between our communities, our employers, our industries, and our campuses. So, so Duncan, are, are our universities all increasingly looking the same as each other, or are they pursuing different missions and presenting themselves to the outside world in a different way from each other? I think because of the way that we report our annual reports, our performance indicators, we're required to give our information to the public in a certain standard format, so it looks as though we're all the same. The reality is not true, and it's absolutely different. I was on a Queensland mission many years ago to the state of Hesse, where we were presenting the Queensland universities. Bond University was there, the University of Queensland was there, and all the others were there as well. The deputy vice chancellor of the university where we were presenting turned to me and said, oh, all Queensland universities look exactly the same. And he was referring to Bonn and the University of Queensland right next door. And of course, we're not. We're all doing incredibly different things, but we haven't articulated it in a way which has captured the imagination of Australia and our states sufficiently what we need to be doing is thinking of the examples which help us stand apart and which distinguish us from each other. We collaborate amazingly well in research and many other ways. However, we are complementary rather than competing in so many ways as each of us pilots unique characteristics in what we're doing. And an example of that is the region is very difficult, different from the city. And yet when we have a drought innovation hub, we want to partner with the University of Melbourne, which is very different from Federation, even though we were founded about the same time. And we want to partner with all of the other universities in Victoria because each brings unique characteristics which are actually going to serve the public much better. So what, what I think I'm hearing you say is that um, our universities have, by virtue of their reporting and their compliance, a tendency to look and, and present themselves in a similar way. And uh, the trick might be to tell their distinctive story with more distinctiveness and more relevance to their local circumstances. Is, that, is, is it the case, therefore, that our universities are not telling their distinctive story well enough? I think that we are trying to tell those distinctive stories. However, once you get into the detail of what it is we're doing, it's very hard to maintain the interest. If you just look across the dimension of health during the COVID period, each of the universities was doing uniquely different elements of the research and the collaboration, which was going to feed off all of that great innovation which was taking place, whether it was the case of inventing a prototype ventilator, which one of our alumni was doing here in Ballarat, or whether you were actually inventing the vaccine, which of course the University of Queensland was doing. And each of us has different dimensions which can become confused because health is an easy word for people to look at, 
but because we're going to the frontiers of knowledge in changing the way people think, we need to think of different ways of communicating that knowledge so that that distinctiveness can become more apparent to your average reader. Sounds like you're at a time of some really exciting new developments there, there um, Duncan, at Federation University. Is there a, an overall picture and perhaps a, the, the narrative of the Federation University strategy as, it, as it's presenting itself to the external world going forward that you'd summarize how you're, how you're standing out from the pack in the way that your university plans to move forward? We're 150 years old. We're Victoria's leading regional university headquartered in the region. We are serving our regional communities and we're doing that through providing unashamedly lifelong learning across the AQF so that we can increase participation and engagement and prosperity. All of our research is applied and absolutely directed to driving the economic prosperity of our regions. And we're taking the pilots we're doing in our regions, taking them across the across Victoria. So our tech park in Ballarat has given um, rise to another tech park in Morwell, and we're going to expand those. We go nationally. We've got an innovation and incubator in Brisbane, which is not duplicating what the excellent work of Queensland universities is doing, but filling a niche. And then we'll take that globally. And it's amazing how the Asian universities in particular will once again soon be snapping up these exemplars of world-class delivery and change in communities so that we can truly transform lives and enhance communities. Quite a story there. Sounds like you really are enjoying it there, Duncan. And um, thanks very much for joining us today on HeadX. A pleasure. Thank you, Martin. Much appreciate the conversation. So that was Duncan Bentley, Carl, um, with his picture of his first 100 days and where that's leading him as a strategy and how to lead Federation University. What did you, what did you take, what were your takeouts from that interview? I liked a lot of his uh, thinking around the first things that he did, you know, around immersing himself with his uh, teams, with his people and making sure that he got, you know, dropped in the middle of the, of the community in which he's leading uh, very quickly. And he had a, lot, had a lot of language as well around powering our way out and turbocharging, a lot of sort of positive language that sort of led me to believe that he's a, a man of action. And so obviously being in the job uh, only a short amount of time, I'm, I've sort of, he's heightened my expectations, I suppose, of what we're likely to see out of Federation University. Yeah, I think they're good points. I mean, um, what, a, what a difficult thing to do, eh? To start off a leadership of a you know, up to 5,000 staff at a time when you're not on campus, you can't be in the same space as them, you're trying to get the pulse and the culture of a place when all, all you're doing is talking to people on Zoom calls to start with. But yeah, he had some interesting strategies to overcome that and to really get under the hood of the, the new institution he was leading. He did seem also hell-bent on dis differentiation and finding a way to effectively distinguish Federation University. I, I know from 25 or 30 years ago, if you got if you missed out on Monash and Melbourne and, and Deakin and you got an offer from Ballarat, or, or which I think Federation was probably called at one point, um, you're a bit disappointed. You know, there wasn't a real sense of... Uh, you know, I'm going to a quality university. It meant that you're getting an education, but it wasn't certainly wasn't your first or second pick. Uh, as I said earlier in the podcast, I've got no idea about 
the Federation's standing at this stage. And I think the role that he's suggested they have in the community is bang on. You know, it's a very different role that they have uh, and responsibility. Yeah, I agree with you there. I mean, we've talked a lot um, in earlier podcasts in, in, in our work together um, with other guests about this being a time calling for greater differentiation and what differentiation might look like in our sector. I, I think there were some really interesting point, pointers out of the Federation University story there of differentiating by not seeking to go head to head with the, the, the giant GO8s in, in the city in, in, in your state or not go um, not seek to replicate when you don't have the same basis to do so, the sort of more technological or, or innovation-focused universities. I, I mean, the message that he was sharing is of a federation university thriving and focusing on its place in, in a region and a, and a number of re regional um, areas of Victoria and really having a focus on differentiating through through its sense of community. I mean, his story of, of when he was in Queensland and meeting international delegates who couldn't tell a number of universities apart. I mean, we've had a number of people talk about that um, with regards to Australian universities for a little while. And, and the fact that the, the regional flavour that you come from and that you're seeking to serve and your purpose is all about is a chance to differentiate from each other, even though you might be operating quite similar business models. Yeah. He talked about enriching the community. I think it might have been his language. He was talking about uh, that one of their roles at being a regional university is to they've got a responsibility to enrich uh, the community, which has some real strong parallels between some of the other things that we've done with corporates and banks and you know, coming out of the bushfires and drought and things like that. There is a sense of responsibility for the bigger, more affluent players to be able to um, bolster the community in whatever specific format that they um, that they can. So, you know, the banks obviously are offering relief and financial um, stability and um, solutions to regional areas. And we know that any sort of regional practice will benefit from greater education coming from such a body like Federation. Yeah, well, um, some of my own experience working at Griffith University was, um, I had my memory jogged about that listening to Duncan talk. I mean, Griffith University being in three cities in, in southeast Queensland of Brisbane, Logan and, and the Gold Coast had very distinctive ways in which it was seeking to serve three quite different corporate, um, social um, and even economic communities in those three places. And you, you, you need to pitch your, your offering and pitch your partnerships to match the circumstances, that's for sure. And to take advantage of timing. I mean, one of the Highlights for me in my career at Griffith was being at a university that was the dominant player on the Gold Coast at the time of the 2018 Commonwealth Games, the biggest public event in Australia in a decade, the first time any university in the world had been a tier one sponsor of one of the three biggest sporting events that the, that the world sees. A great opportunity for us to have 500 of our students, lots of our staff, lots of our partnerships with immersive experiences in major public events. And I got a bit of a sense of that, of the sort of approach that Duncan and his colleagues are taking at Federation University, which I think has to be one route of trying to set yourself apart from others, at, um, particularly at a time, you know, there's a lot of talk through, through 2020 and even now into 2021 around tree changes and sea changes and perhaps a move from our metropolitan environments to regional um, communities. Maybe this is a time for regional universities to have a real opportunity to engage in different ways with a with an audience that's got more appetite for it. 
Yeah, yeah. I know you were heavily involved in in brokering the uh, Commonwealth Games opportunity, and then I know we worked on it together in terms of making sure that that aligned to the remarkable strategy, which it did, and really served Griffith particularly well. One thing that confused me a little bit uh, with Duncan's interview, and I'm, I'm sure with your experience, you'll be able to shed some light on this, but. Uh, he was saying, you know, it's it's almost offensive to say we're all the same in terms of regional universities. Um, I don't know, I can't remember the exact story that he he or the reference that he made, but he said it's it's like uh, calling a Australian a, a Kiwi or a Victorian a Kiwi or something like that. Um, my thinking on this is that if we're looking at a, a trend and a general shift to your point around a sea change or a tree change where people are leaving large metropolitan areas for regional locations is there not an opportunity for a regional university to actually share and extend what it already would have enormous chops it would have great experience and capabilities in serving regional communities but almost do that on a, on a broader more remote and, and universal way universal scale so that it isn't bespoke it isn't particular to that particular region it is if you are living in a regional area uh, we have solutions for you because there are there are a hell of a lot of similarities for individuals living in regional communities. Well, I think you're really hitting there on Carl on on the sort of elephant elephant in the room for leaders, and I'm I'm I, it came through in what Duncan was saying, and I'm sure he's only too mindful of it that they're juggling these um these these two different phenomena. There there is the the increasing fierceness of competition, whether it's in a city or a state or in Australia generally, and, and therefore being the dominant local provider by engaging with community is an obvious response to make with that. But we're working at a time, and maybe again the pandemic year has accelerated it, of, as we've said before and as many commentators have on, on our platform have shared with us, it's, it's, a play, it's a time of potential major disruption. And I mean, I, I can't help thinking about the parallels between lo local taxi companies, perhaps, where the, the drivers all knew every street and many of the customers knew a number of the drivers. And there was some there was some value in that personal service. But that didn't stop them people going to switching to Uber very quickly when a dominant technology delivered major provider was the alternative on the scene. And Will we see something like that happen in universities either out of a federation university or one of the others or, or coming from left field from some of the other major platforms that see education and universities within scope? Um, or will, it, will there be startups that start to get into this space? My, 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 my co-author Michael Roseman of QUT and I have been working on a book together about the new learning economy where we've been exploring some of these um, concepts and just trying to think about how they might play out. So while Duncan and Federation University and places like that need to be absolutely focused on what's happening in Ballarat and Bendigo and Gippsland and their local areas, no one can afford to not have an eye, as I'm, I'm sure they all do, on what's happening on a global scale and what's happening in a disruption while some of these demographics and geographics are changing for us all as well. And Martin, if you think about you know the HEDEX governance service offering that, that we have, the work that we're often asked to in, be engaged in more often than not is um, risk mitigation. You know, and traditionally that's what's our culture risk at a board level and what's our reputation risk. You know, two things that that's very similar to out of category questions. Um, but I, you know, increasingly we're asked, you know, how do we identify emerging risk from a um, competitive strategic 
perspective. And that's, you know, obviously we're set up to, to identify and help combat that. But I do wonder, outside of the work that we do, are others doing that? You know, is that a common question in an executive team that are, um, when they're going through their you know, risk profile, uh, risk appetite, risk culture, do we have an eye on um, left, of fle- left of field, um, unrecognised, uh, you know, like almost like a UFO that shows up and the first time you learn about it this is the first time it's actually pouring bullets down on you? Well, I, th- I think one will, would have to say when the history of Australian higher education gets written, if it ever does again by somebody soon, that, that 2020 will have been a year that changed everything because I think the approach to risk in universities will never be the same after 2020. And that's because even though we might have had pandemics in our risk register, the idea that all of our staff would be working from home, all of our students would be online at a week's notice, a substantial, you know, a third to a half of our revenue from international students gets cut off at a stroke. No, no one prepared for that. And I just fear a little bit that at the moment, I fear, it is so hard for every vice chancellor in the country. They're trying to do the budget remediation from that. They're trying to scale down the extent of their campus operations, their staffing profiles to be sustainable financially in the short term with that. They're they're seeing tree changes and sea changes to try and um, keep an eye on the on the community, and now this, you're telling us there's something from outer space going to come down and rain down bullets on us. For well, goodness probably sake. lasers, actually, probably lasers. When I <laughs> think about it, first time you learn of it, they're uh, you know hitting you with the Death Star laser beam. Well, I, I mean, I think these things are are very real. Before we get to UFO in it all, mm. but. Um, but the capacity of governing bodies and leaders to juggle all of those different things and give the right balance for each of them, I'm pretty sure that the first, the end of the first month in 2021 is a time when less of the focus being on the budget remediation and the recovery from February, March last year, more of the focus on lifting our eyes and looking at what's out there and what interest they have in us has to be a switch that's needing to be made. Let me pose this, this last question or statement to you. And uh, look, let's continue on the intergalactic sort of theme. The uh, one thing I know for certain after two decades working in culture and brand alignment is that if you've had a culture of order and safety and order and repetition and routine, for you to move into a culture, a learning culture that delivers innovation, it's incredibly difficult. And it's almost like, a, you know, we've got a seven-step process that we take our clients through if they're trying to do that. And it doesn't, they're not guaranteed to do it because they need to actually comply 100% with each of those seven steps. And those seven steps include everything from uh, changing KPIs, employment, brand, education, communication, leadership, behaviors, leaders themselves. Um, so for them to do that's very difficult. But we've moved into a time where, you know, with the, let's use Star Wars as an example, you know, the Galactic Empire was hell-bent on squeezing the life out of everyone to make sure they maintained order. Now, that's certainly what I've seen from my insurance clients, other banks that we've worked with. I suspect and I get a really strong feeling that's the dominant culture through a lot of universities. And now we're moving into a, a period where the, the, you know, we're, the Rebel Alliance have come and the empire's fallen through 2020. And it's a, it's a time for peace and prosperity, but also authenticity and individuality. And so for 
organizations to be able to shift from from looking to replicate former previous successes into a green field of what's going to make a difference in the future and let's mobilize quickly to ensure we can we can do that and repetitively do that not just go not just land on here's a strategy and let's let's clap our hands and give ourselves a little high 10 and, and stick with that it's a repetitive fluid strategy that needs to be replicated now um, you know, I reckon it's a massive change. I reckon it's a huge change and big challenge. And I'm not sure if the challenge is actually recognised across the sector. I th- well, I, I hear people recognising it, but recognising it is only the first step if you're then going to mobilise yourself, as you've said there, to respond to it. And I, I, th- I think it's going to be absolutely fascinating to see how 2021 pa- pans out because you're absolutely right. They have been well-ordered organisations um, well-ordered organisations around well-ordered campuses, highly regulated by govern, govern, government and governance, that suddenly went completely different um, forms of operation and a culture that in some ways became even more clamped down in terms of tightness of operations. But now at the start of 2021, you know, what got us there won't get us where we need to get next. It will, somehow we've got to unleash the talent, the innovation, the creativity, the dynamism, the new way of thinking, not in a little grunge works in the digital learning part of our university, but across, across the whole culture of the whole organisation, when it's been used for the last 12 months to be tightened even more than it's ever been. That is a cultural shift, it's a huge challenge of leadership, and the university that does it well is going to be a real competitor in a different way into the future. And if you look at the stats, 90% of culture change initiatives fail. Yep. Like that's, that's not me making it up. That's what we notice. And there's a, there's, there's a real reason or for a formula behind what success looks like and why it actually succeeds. So I think anyone suggesting that, yep, we've changed our culture over the last you know, 10 months and we're all set and sailing, uh, I think they're, they've got, they're having a little end of themselves. Next week, we're going to check back in with a student who spent first year at Monash University in Melbourne, moving into second year this year, and really get a read on what their experience and their expectations this coming year is. I really look forward to, to flipping flipping the um, end of the, the telescope we're looking through there and um, getting a sense of what this means from the student perspective. After all, that's what we're all here for. And that's all we have time for on this episode of HeadX. Until next week. Thanks, Martin. Thanks, Carl.